This is 20 Pages a Week, where together you and I will read all the way through the Bible in a year. I'm Hal Hammonds, and I'm here to help. I'll supply one story that grabbed my attention, one verse I found particularly interesting, and one word that I couldn't get out of my mind. The rest is up to you. This is Quarter One, Lesson Nine. The reading is 2 Samuel. We'll start with my first impressions. Bible heroes are flawed heroes. Surely David is exhibit A with regard to that. David commits some of the most indefensible and horrific sins we find anywhere in the Bible. More than half of the book of 2 Samuel is given over to his mistakes. Is this really a man after God's own heart, as he's described in 1 Samuel? Well, maybe we need to revise our idea of what a man after God's own heart actually is. David's not someone who behaves perfectly far from it. But he is someone who always comes back to the Lord. His behavior is not in the right place, but his heart is in the right place. And people who are given to the things of God will ultimately come back home. That's what we see in David's life after the Bathsheba incident in chapter 12, when Nathan points the finger at him, as it were, and says, thou art the man. David is willing to acknowledge that. He's willing to admit that he has fallen short. When we find ourselves accused of sin, and we are willing to acknowledge it. We're willing to confess and repent and make amends as best we can. Then we're following after David's example. People of faith always come back home. Perhaps the seminal event in the book of 1 Samuel was the loss of the ark in the days of Eli and Samuel. The Philistines took custody of the ark and paid a bitter penalty for it, and ultimately the ark was returned to Israelite territory. David purposes in chapter 6 to complete this journey of restoration by bringing the ark to his city, the city of Jerusalem. And it turned out as bad for David as it did for the Philistines. A young man named Uzzah reaches up and touches the ark and is struck dead, horrifying David, angering David. We read in 1 Chronicles that David came to realization at some point that he had been carrying the ark incorrectly. Whether it was Uzzah's fault or not, it was ultimately David's fault, because it was David who was in charge of this trip. He had not arranged for the ark to be carried appropriately. And there was a very specific rule, a very specific guideline given for such things. David didn't care enough to investigate. And the nation, and especially this young man, paid a bitter penalty for it. Ultimately, though, David comes back to the ark. He is delayed, but he's not deterred. And the text says in verse number 13 that on this second attempt, they managed to carry the ark six paces successfully. And that was enough to celebrate. Clearly, we're doing something right because the disaster did not happen again. And it's noteworthy that David does not wait until they get back to Jerusalem. He does not wait for the journey to be completed to start celebrating. God is on his side now. He realizes that. And he's going to celebrate right now. And celebrate in what his wife considers to be a very ugly and inappropriate fashion. Dancing before the Lord, the text says here. She sees him as just one of the commoners. She was raised, of course, in Saul's house. Michael was. No doubt Saul did not undignify himself in such a manner, and she sees this as beneath the dignity of a king. David sees it as anything but. I will make myself as common as it takes so that the people will see how much joy is in my heart 
over this event. We need to find a way to celebrate being in the presence of God, not just on Sunday mornings, not just at the Lord's table. If He is with us at all times in every hour of every day, then we should find ways to celebrate that, whether that's in personal worship, in study, in service, whatever it happens to be. We are in the presence of God, and that's something we're celebrating. If there is any verse in 2 Samuel that is familiar to the average person, the one who is not necessarily versed in all things related to the life of David, it's quite likely chapter 18 and verse 33. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. This, of course, happens at the end of his civil war. His son Absalom had taken the throne from him, and that's a long story in and of itself. David realized, at least by the end of these things, that he was largely to blame for Absalom's failure. There was the incident with Tamar and Amnon. Absalom was furious over the way that his younger sister had been treated, and David didn't do anything about Amnon's sin. So Absalom did. David seems to have continually made mistakes along this road. It's difficult to point to any interaction between David and Absalom that went the way it should have gone. He was standoffish. He was rude. He was indulgent. There's no way that Absalom should have been successful in this rebellion against his father. But David lets it go and ultimately practically surrenders the throne to Absalom. No doubt feeling a great deal of guilt over his own responsibility. But ultimately, of course, he rallies to the fight with his army behind him. He wins the battle, and Absalom is killed. David's reaction regarding Absalom is interesting and paradoxical. On the one hand, as we read in this passage, it breaks a father's heart when bad things happen to their children. How could it not? But on the other hand, Joab is right when he tells David he needs to quit mourning and start acting like a king. Because if he shows more regard for his rebellious son than he shows toward the people who stood by him all this time, he's going to lose the throne again. It was necessary for him to stand up and act like a king, carry on, if he was going to have his kingdom. I see a lot of Jesus symbolism in that. How could it not have broken the Father's heart to send Jesus to the cross? Does Father and Son imagery mean anything if it doesn't mean that the Father's heart was broken. But he sent Jesus to the cross anyway. He carried on. Because he knew that it had to be that way. So the Father does what is necessary, at great pains to himself, to accomplish the greater good. And we can be thankful that he did. I chose the one word, mighty, in large measure because I love talking about the mighty men of David, as described in 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 8. We won't get into the details of the story, but as you read through this text, take special note of Adino the Eznite and Shammah the son of Agi, a Hararite, and the others that are mentioned here in this text as well. But through it all, as you see these individual vignettes played out before us, as much credit as properly goes to these warriors, ultimately, the Lord is the one who brings about the great victory. We see that with Adino in verse number 10. We see that with Shammah in verse number 12. The victory is always the Lord's. 
This is not an ego exercise, either for them or for us, as we serve in the army of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go out into the field and we act bravely. And we hope and pray that it will turn out well. But whether it does or whether it doesn't, whether he delivers us from the fiery furnace or not, as it were, we act in trust. We act in confidence. We act in faith. We believe that by doing what God has told us to do, it will turn out well for us. That no matter what happens in the world around us, God will be pleased with us. And that's ultimately the only thing that matters. Thanks for listening to 20 Pages a Week. Please don't hesitate to reach out with your stories about your trip through the Bible this year. I'd love to hear from you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with your friends. And check out my other podcast, Citizen of Heaven. I'll see you next week. We'll be reading 1 Kings. God bless and keep reading.